Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. And today's scripture comes from Romans 12, 2 and 9b. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Romans 12, 2, 9b. Anna, thank you so much for doing our reading. If you didn't get an outline of the sermon, you might want to get one there by the door. If you're watching online there on our website, I'm going to have you fill in the blanks, but it's going to take a while till we get to the blanks. So don't panic if you listen for a number of minutes and you don't know what to fill in, okay? I mean, you can write stuff, but I will tell you when it's time to fill in the blanks. I didn't want you to miss out. Would you pray with me as we look into God's Word? Let's pray together. Our wonderful Father, we, we come to you as children who need instruction, who need guidance, who need love, encouragement, who need discipline, who need hope, who need provision, and on and on, Lord. And we come to you, and Lord, all of us come to you with specific needs today, and we pray that we would find ourselves having you meet those needs in the way that you know is best and we'll give you thanks for that. Lord, we continue to pray for the world around us, for people within our home who are going through challenging times, as well as people in our family, our community, and around the world. And Lord, we pray that you would use us to make a difference by the way we live, by the way we cling to our faith in Jesus Christ, by the way we hold on to what is good. May we make a difference in this world. Lord, we ask now for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, for him to speak through me words that challenge us, encourage us, and show us how to live. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today, as we continue in our series in the book of Romans, entitled Truth Matters, because truth does matter, we come to a sermon entitled, Hold On, Hold On. It was a hot, humid day in Rhode Island where I was in high school. My dad was stationed there, and it was summer, and my buddies, Bill and Danny, said, let's go get wet, let's cool off. So I thought that was a great idea, so we jumped in the car, and I guess Danny was driving, and we drove not to the beach, but to a bridge. And we got to the bridge, and they whipped off their shirts, they climbed up on the railing of the bridge, and they jumped. And I just sat there, wide-eyed, going, oh, my goodness. And they swam and came up the embankment back to the bridge. And then they looked at me and said, now it's your turn. Suddenly, the heat and humidity didn't seem so bad to me. As I looked down, and it must have been a million feet down that they wanted me to jump into the water. And so I got up on the railing, and I was terrified, and they jumped again. And they came up the embankment and came up to the bridge. And I'm still standing there. And, you know, peer pressure is a wonderful thing, isn't it? 
And I go, I have to jump, but I was so terrified. I, I abhorred the thought of jumping that I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll climb over the railing and I'll hang from the bridge until my hands and arms give out and then I will plummet and I'll have no choice. So I climbed over, I hung, and while I'm hanging there, Bill and Danny jump again. And they come up at the bank and jump again. And they come up, and I continued to hang and hang and hang. And apparently my fear gave me superhuman strength. My arms never got tired. The sun began to set. No, no, but I finally decided I might as well just climb back over the railing because I'm not going to go in the water. And I did not jump. Today's passage is in Romans chapter 12, 9. B. It's the second half of a verse. Last week we got through half a verse. Today we're going to get through the other half of the verse. And Romans 12, 9b says, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Jumping was abhorrent to me. <laughs> so I clung to the railing of the bridge. All around us, people are trying to influence to do things. And Oh, there's a, a picture by way, way of the bridge, if you want to see what it, it looks like. Uh, that's uh, Danny. I took a picture of him jumping, and you can see, yeah, it's really two million feet that you have to go, you know, so. But all around us, people are trying to get us to do things. And a lot of those things are evil. And we should find that abhorrent. And sometimes we find ourselves clinging to dear life. And I would remind you that God wants us to cling <laughs> for life to what is good. And what is good is not what the world defines as good. Good is what God tells us is good. And evil isn't what the world tells us is evil. Evil is what God tells us is evil. And today, if you feel like you're just barely hanging on that's not a bad thing. That's better than letting go. <laughs> and if you're barely hanging on, ask God for that superhuman strength through the power of the Holy Spirit in you to keep hanging on. When you hang on to God, you're hanging on to what is good. Cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil, and you can't do that unless you're hanging on to God. But the world around us has done a bait and switch, calling evil good and calling good evil. I'm no historian, but I am old. <laughs> and so I remember growing up when going to church on Sunday was a cultural norm. It doesn't mean everybody went, but it was the norm. You'd see families getting dressed up and getting in their cars or walking to church or churches being full or at noon, of course, all churches got out at noon, you know, people pouring out. That was cultural norm, that when you went out to a restaurant for lunch on Sunday, you could tell these were families all dressed up that had been in church. It was the cultural norm. I remember when most stores were closed on Sundays. It was the cultural norm. I remember, you're going to find this surprising, when children respected adults. That was the cultural norm. And it didn't matter if that adult was your parent, a teacher, or a total stranger. 
I remember when I was about six, I was walking safely down the road, down the double yellow line in the center of the road, because I knew that cars were not allowed to cross that line. And so I figured the safest place to walk was along the double yellow line in the middle of the road. I was a smart kid. I knew that was safe. And some adult stopped their car and said, kid, get out of the road. And back then, you didn't badmouth. You didn't make excuses. I got out of the road. I'm standing here today because some adult told me to get out of the road. And back then, you respected adults. I remember I didn't have to lock my bicycle. I didn't even own a lock. I remember a time when the racy lyrics of a rock song went like this. I can't sing it because Facebook live stream will censor me if I sing it. Not because I'm that bad, but because it's copyrighted. <laughs> but the racy songs went like, I want to hold your hand. Twist and shout. Twist a little closer to me. Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? America has changed. And not necessarily in a good direction. Tony Evans, pastor of a large church in Dallas, Texas, tells us that as Christians, we are no longer the home team. We no longer have home team advantage. We no longer have the crowds cheering us on, hoping that we'll win. So what should you and I do? Well, God's already told us. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Our English word abhor is, comes to us through the Latin two words, which means to shrink away in horror. Shrink away in horror. Apparently, it's biblical for children to be afraid of monsters and the boogeyman. They, they find that horrifying, and so should we. But we as grown-ups no longer are shocked by the things that used to shock us. Our senses have become dulled to evil. Our hearts have become tolerant of perversion. Our moral compass has become demagnetized. And worst of all, we often find ourselves becoming participants in the very evil that used to horrify us. Overcome by the influence of my high school friends and peer pressure, I finally jumped off that bridge. Not once, not twice, but repeatedly. It became a favorite pastime to cool down. And quite a number of years later, when I was at chaplain school in Newport, Rhode Island, as a chaplain, I went to go visit that bridge, and I discovered they now have a sign in the bridge that says, do not jump from bridge. <laughs> so I didn't jump. I was listening to a sermon recently pastor that I respect and preaches well. And he said something, though, that I disagree with that a number of pastors are saying this day. He was saying, the world has never been worse than it is now. I go, well, that's not true. It's blatantly not true. I mean, America might be worse than it was, but America is not the world. It might be your world, but it's not the world. In fact, I would say that the world 
that the Apostle Paul lived in and the writers that he's writing to had a much, much worse world than you do and that I do. Let me remind you of what that world looked like in the first century. One of Paul's contemporaries was a philosopher, a Greek philosopher by the name of Seneca. And Seneca lived in the city of Rome. He, he was not a Christian, but he was a moral man who practiced what he preached, and he preached morality. He was a Stoic. And he believed in Stoic philosophy, which held to four main virtues. And those main virtues were prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. And Seneca, living in the city of Rome, described the city that he lived in as the cesspool of iniquity. The city of Rome in the Apostle Paul's day is estimated to have had about a million people in it. To give you an idea, that's 25% larger than the city of San Francisco. And shockingly, it was even more immoral than the city of San Francisco. It's estimated that in the entire Roman Empire, 20 to 30% of the people were slaves. 20 to 30%. That would mean that in the Roman Empire, there were an estimated 60 million people who were slaves. They were essential to the operation of society and the Roman economy. Slaves worked not only with manual labor, they worked as domestics in the home. They also had skilled jobs. Slaves could be accountants, they could be doctors, they might even be lawyers. And this is most likely why the Bible never specifically speaks against slavery in the New Testament, because to speak against slavery would be seen as an insurrection of the Roman Empire, and the church would immediately have retribution against it. And so instead, the Bible tells Christians who own slaves and Christians who are slaves how to properly conduct themselves in an immoral society. It's throughout the New Testament, but I'll just give you a couple verses. One is for masters. It says in Colossians 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness. Justice and fairness. Slaves were considered property. Most people were slaves because of warfare that they'd been defeated in war and they were taken in as slaves. Other people could sell themselves as slaves if they went into debt. But those taken in war could never free themselves from slavery. It was a lifetime of slavery. They were considered property, and the owner could do whatever he wanted, corporal punishment, use them for sexual abuse, Summary execution. If your slave did something, even broke a plate, you could kill that slave, according to Roman law. And the Bible says, masters, you're Christians, you act differently. You treat your slave with, as the verse says, justice and fairness. We're not telling you to overthrow the system. We're telling you to change the system by how you act. And then the Bible says something to the slaves. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, it says, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters, how? As worthy of all honor. Why? 
so that the name of God and our doctrine or our teaching will not be spoken against. If you want to promote Christianity and you're a slave, be the best slave there is and honor your master. Cling to what is good. This is the environment the Apostle Paul was writing to. It's a lot worse than our world, but it gets worse. At the time the Apostle Paul is writing the book of Romans in about 56, 57 AD, the emperor of Rome was a man by the name of Nero, a very young man. Nero murdered his mother because she was becoming a political threat. He beheaded his wife so he could marry his mistress, who, after he married her, later kicked her in the stomach in a fit of rage, and she died. Nero was the first Roman emperor to marry a man. He married a slave who looked like his previous wife and had that slave surgically altered to be more feminine. It's estimated that 13 out of the first 14 Roman emperors were either bisexual or homosexual. And the Roman Empire in Paul's day was not a Christian empire. It was a pagan empire. They oppressed the Christians. They persecuted the Christians. They worshiped trees and rivers and gods like Jupiter, Mars, and Venus that we name our planets after. And they even for a time worshiped the emperor, the ruler of the known world, as a god. As bad as you might think our political system is, it comes nowhere close to what the world was like that these people lived in. And then for their entertainment, they had the gladiator games. I don't know if you've ever been in the Roman Colosseum. It can seat about 80,000 people. And they'd have a morning show, or early afternoon show, and the late afternoon show. The morning show would be the gladiators fighting wild beasts. Later in the afternoon, they'd up the ante, and gladiators would fight condemned prisoners to the death. But the big show is what happened later in the day, later in the afternoon, to keep the crowds in the Colosseum. It was gladiator against gladiator. And some gladiators were slaves. Some gladiators took this on voluntarily as a career and became favored when they survived. The gladiator games lasted for 1,000 years in the Roman Empire. And they reached their peak at the time of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing to the Christians in the city that Seneca called the cesspool of iniquity. And inspired by God, he tells them how to act. He doesn't tell them to revolt. He doesn't tell them to overthrow the system. He tells them to cling to what is good and to abhor what is evil in their life. Do you know the difference between good and evil? Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 tells us confusing good with evil has been a problem for a long time. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. It was true in Isaiah's day. It's true in our day. Those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. This problem of confusing good with evil is nothing new in America. It's nothing new in our world. It's nothing new in Isaiah's world. It started with Adam and Eve. 
They confused good with evil and evil with good, with darkness with light. They thought that obeying God wasn't good, and obeying the devil was. So now is where you get to fill in some blanks. Number one, looking at your outline, the first thing, what should you do in a world that has such evil in it? Well, number one, you should fear God. The place to start is to fear God. It says in Proverbs 16, verse 6, by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. Adam and Eve didn't fear God. That's why they disobeyed Him. And that's why you disobey Him. We need a healthy dose of reverence for God. We need to realize that God is holy and He's also wrathful. That He rewards, but He also judges. That He's gracious, but He's also angry. That He's gentle, but He's also all-powerful. And that God punishes the evil doer. Every deed, every thought will be judged. Fear God as you continue to take notes because, here's why, because until you have a right view of God, you won't have a right view of evil. Until you have a right view of God, you won't have a right view of evil. The reason the world doesn't know what's good and evil is they don't know God. Adam and Eve had the wrong attitude about God, thinking that God was withholding something good from them. They confused evil with good. And the same is true for you and me as well and the world around us. We need to fear God because until you have a right view of God, you won't have a right view of evil. But once you have a right relationship with God, you'll start to understand what is good. And you'll start to recognize what is evil. And that's exactly what happened in the Roman Empire. When a man started to fear God, and he started to understand the difference between good and evil, and the empire started to change. We actually know the date. It was October 28th, in A.D. 312, Emperor Constantine had a vision. And in that vision, in, in the sky, he saw a sign that looked like a cross. And then these words that said, in this sign, conquer. He later had a dream that confirmed this. And so then the next week, when he went into battle against his enemies, he went into battle with the sign of the cross on their shields and other places, and he actually won the battle. And some people say, well, that doesn't mean he was a Christian. No, it doesn't. What means he's a Christian is what he did after that. He acted like a Christian. He immediately declared that Christianity no longer was illegal in the empire. He made Christianity legal. He didn't make it the religion of the empire at that time. That would come later. But he made Christianity legal, and he stopped all orders of oppression against Christians. Then Constantine, emperor of the Roman Empire, ended the sacrifices to the imperial cult. In other words, to him as a god. 
He then publicly scolded those who were involved in so-called magic arts. He ordered that all the damaged, destroyed, and confiscated church buildings should be rebuilt and given back to the congregations so they could worship. He then recommended and had built two of the greatest churches in Israel that still exist today, and some of you have been in them. Under Constantine, they built the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And then he started a Bible copying to get the Bible out there. And, you know, they didn't have printing presses. And he had 50 elaborate Bibles, 50, 50, copied by hand. Each hand-copied Bible would cost the equivalent of 30 years' salary of a common laborer to copy by hand the whole Bible. And he had 50 of them, and he had them placed in the capital of the Roman Empire, which at this time had moved to Constantinople, named, named after Constantine. Some people call that Istanbul today. And that was the center of the Roman Empire. And he had the Bibles printed or hand-copied. And then Emperor Constantine sponsored one of the greatest theological conferences ever held. It was held in Nicaea. It was called the Council of Nicaea. And in it, they were drafting up what the Christian theology really was. And it became known as the Nicaean Creed, which is to this day recited by Catholics, Orthodox, and Protestants alike. And Constantine then outlawed crucifixion. And he spoke against the Roman practice of exposure, where if you had a female child or a child that had some type of handicap, you would just leave it outside, exposed, and let it die. And the emperor of the known world spoke against that. He then gave churches tax-exempt status. That's where it started. It started with Constantine. And he did that because the Roman, the vast Roman Empire, had no method for reaching or helping the poor. They didn't believe in helping the poor. That was your kuleana. That was your problem, not the empire's. But the church was helping the poor already, giving them food and clothing and housing. So he gave the church tax-exempt status so they could do more for the poor in the Roman Empire. And Constantine made an effort to stop the gladiator games. And he was successful in 325. He banned them. And he was successful in the east, in Constantinople, and we call Turkey, that area. He was successful. But they continued on in the west, in the city of Rome, for over 70 years. And they didn't end until another Christian man, Telemachus, stood up and spoke against them. Fear God. Was Constantine a Christian? He sure looks like a Christian to me. He feared God because until you have a right view of God, you won't have a right view of evil. And Constantine got a right view of God. He had a right view of evil, and he changed the world. And it's still affecting you and me today. There's a second thing you and I should do. Number two, pray to God. Fear God, then pray to God. Jesus says, in Matthew 6, 13, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, a prayer given to his disciples, he says, pray this way, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from 
evil. Deliver us from evil. That can be translated also, deliver us from the evil one, either way in the Greek. Evil one or from evil. And how do you keep away from evil? By prayer. You and I need to be constantly praying against evil. We need to be constantly praying for our children. Are you worried about what's going on in our world today? The influence of evil on our children? Well, of course you are. What should you do about it? Well, if you're not praying about it, you haven't started in the right place. For some reason, God wakes me up at 2 in the morning recently. For going on for a long time. And I have a choice. What am I going to do when I wake up at 2 in the morning? Well, I decided I would start praying for people in our church. And then I realized I tend to fall asleep as I pray through the family, and sometimes I don't get through all the children, so I've reversed it now. I start with the children, the youngest child in that family, and I pray for them first. So when that child comes to church, I go, hey, I just prayed for you at 2 a.m. And they look at me like, mommy, who's this crazy man? <laughs> I hope you're praying for our kids. Why should we pray to God? Because, look into your notes there, you can't defeat evil in your own power. You can't defeat evil in your own power. You can't do it. The Apostle Paul gave his testimony in Romans 7. If you remember way back then when we studied Romans 7, verse 19, he says this, For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Good and evil. He goes, I know what's good, but I have trouble practicing it. I do the evil things. And then he says in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? What am I going to do about this? And then he gives us the answer in the next verse, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way that you and I can overcome evil is through Jesus Christ, that we fear God, we love God, we, we listen to God, we, we pray to God. You can't defeat evil on your own power. So fear God, pray to God, and thirdly, listen to God. Listen to Him. You defeat evil when you listen to God. Turn off the screens. The average person in America spends seven to ten hours a day on screens. I know you have to do some of that for your job, but realize every time you took on, turn on the screen, it's the world speaking to you. We need to be listening to God. We need to be opening up the Word or opening up a podcast or, or a screen that has a sermon or something. We need to be listening to God. Paul's readers didn't have screens. But, you know, oddly enough, they also had the same problems. Romans 1, 28, I won't read all the way down to the end of the chapter there, but 128 says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And then it lists the whole thing. And the reason that we do improper things, it says there, is we don't see fit to acknowledge God. We don't listen to Him. Listen to God because, look into your notes there, because if you're not listening to God, then you are listening to the devil. If you're not listening to God, you're listening to the devil. There's no neutral ground. We're in a battleground. We're in a war. There's good and evil. There's no neutral. It's either good or it's evil. It's either from God or it's from the devil. Jesus put it this way in Luke eleven twenty three. 23. He says, he who is not with me is against me. He who is not with me is against There's no middle ground. You can't just sit it out. 
You can't just say, oh, well, I'm just going to sit here and ignore all this good and evil stuff and this battle. You know, it doesn't concern me. It does concern you. And by listening to God, I mean obeying God. You hear him, and then you do what he says. Like the parent who says, are you listening to me? You can tell they're not listening because they're not doing what you're saying. The gladiator games finally ended and were abolished in Rome in 404 B.C. because of one man listened to God and he obeyed, and his name is Telemachus, and we know his name because he obeyed their historical accounts, 404 B.C. And Telemachus was an elderly monk living in what we call Turkey, Asia Minor, and he heard these words one day in prayer, go to Rome. That's all he heard. Go to Rome. So out of obedience to God, he packed his bags. He traveled from Asia Minor, probably by land through Constantinople and over and down, and came to Rome. And he got there, and he got there during a day of a celebration when the whole city was celebrating the fact that they had just defeated the Goth army in the north. And all the crowds were moving toward the Roman Colosseum that sat 80,000 people. And he found himself swept up with the crowds, sitting in the Colosseum. And as he's sitting there, he's watching... And two lines of gladiators come out, dressed in their armor with spears, three-pronged spears and swords and nets. And in two lines, they go before the emperor at this time, not Constantine, another emperor at this time, and stand before him, and they say, Hail Caesar, those about to die salute you. And then the two lines of gladiators lined up opposite each other and began a battle. And Telemachus watched, shocked. And one of the gladiators, injured, falls to the ground, and the gladiator above him is about to thrust his spear into his chest as the other gladiator lays on the ground. And he looks up at the crowd, and the crowd gives him the thumbs down. And Telemachus, aghast, watches this gladiator plunge his spear into the chest of the man on the ground. Telemachus is appalled. The gladiators then line up for more battle. And Telemachus runs down the stairs of the Colosseum. He jumps over the wall onto the dirt arena, shouting, in the name of Christ, stop. And at first, the crowd start to laugh. They thought this was a comedy show. They thought he was part of the show. And he goes, in the name of Christ, stop. And he puts a hand on the chest of two gladiators, pushing them apart, and says, in the name of Christ, stop. And one of the gladiators takes the butt end of his spear, thrusts it in the stomach of Telemachus. Telemachus, winded, falls down to his knees, gasping. He finally is able to get up. He goes, in the name of Christ, stop, pushing the gladiators apart again. And the gladiator now turns around his spear and thrusts it in the stomach of Telemachus. And Telemachus, with his dying breath, says, in the name of Christ, stop. We have numerous accounts of what happened next. One of the stories says that the whole crowd was silent. A man got up, started to leave, another man, a couple, a family. Pretty soon the whole Colosseum was empty. We do know historically that on that day, the gladiator games stopped, never to be held again. Whether you're an emperor Following Christ, you can change the world. Or whether you are a single, utterly monk 
who says, in the name of Christ, stop. You can change the world if you abhor evil and you cling to what is good. Fear God. Pray to God. Listen to God. Would you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, even as you're watching online. I want to ask you, have you accepted Jesus into your life as your Savior? Until you do that, you're really not going to know the difference between good and evil. If you recognize that you're a sinner and you need to be saved, you need to be forgiven, that you can't save yourself, if your desire is to not go to hell and go to heaven someday, you need Jesus in your life. And you can just call out to him in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me, and he will. Lord, as we continue to pray, we, we do pray that you give us the strength in your power to recognize evil and to avoid it, Lord. You give us the strength to cling to what is good and that you'd use each one of us to change the world around us for the glory of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' saving name. Amen.